The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Monday, October 2nd, 2023. The regular season is finally over, despite finishing the last six games at home. The Chicago White Sox went 1-5 in those games, including getting swept in the last series of the season by the San Diego Padres, with the season finale going 11 innings, resulting in a 2-1 loss because this season wasn't painful enough as is, needed extra baseball at the very end. The 2023 Chicago White Sox finished 61-101. That's the worst record since 1970 when they went 56-106. and The offense only scored 641 runs this season. That's the fewest since 2015 and averages to 3.95 runs per game. And they allowed 841 runs, which is an average of more than five runs per game. You don't have to be a math genius to see how large of a gap Chris Getz and his new front office has to shrink and getting this team to be in a competitive mode. We'll talk more about that in this episode. But changes are also coming to the coaching staff this week. We've already seen some movement. We'll talk about that, plus the MLB wildcard round starts on Tuesday, so we'll make our best guesses on who we like to reach and eventually win the World Series. You can also participate in the Sox Machine postseason pickup challenge on the website. Joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And Jim, they did it. A hundred losses and more. A season for the record books. And we did it. We're still here. Everybody's <laughs> listening is still here. Congratulations to us. What a weekend for Chicago sports. Uh, the Chicago Cubs blow it at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they trip and they fail to make the postseason. The Chicago Bears had a 28-7 lead against the Denver Broncos and proceed to lose 31-28. And the Milwaukee Bucks get Damian Lillard, so that's not going to make anything easier for the Chicago Bulls. And uh, the Chicago White Sox lose 101 games this year, so go Blackhawks? That's where we're at right now? 
I guess, yeah. And like, I've been emotionally divorced from the Bears for I don't know how long now. Like, I'll watch them if they're on, but I don't put any hope in them just because like I'm forced well not forced but like I've made the decision to follow the White Sox as closely as I do and absorb all the uh frustration scars (laughs) whatever you want to call it that go along with following the White Sox that closely so like basically it's shortened my leash for other sports or other teams and like my ability to check out and so like when it comes to the Bears and watching them trip over themselves over and over again like I just said no nah, I'm good like basically around the John Fox time maybe Mark Trestman like in that that window of time I said this isn't getting any better like Lovey Smith after he was fired and the two coaches after Lovey Smith no like I get it and I don't like where it's going and I'm bowing out and so like watching the Bears by score because they weren't on TV uh, locally like I saw 27 oh good for Justin Fields good for everybody like and then watching the lead a road and then watching what happened with that fourth down and just like, bah, <laughs> just, <laughs> that, that was my reaction. Just no, you know, no sad. I mean, sad for bears fans, but just in terms of myself, like I got my Sundays back a while ago. And given that I give up so much, so much of my summer watching the white Sox, uh, I've chosen my fall Sundays to preserve those. And I feel like the bears have not made me regret that, or they've not won me back in. I wonder if there's just something in the water in Chicago where it's just contagious. Like everyone is struggling. Everyone is struggling. Even with Connor Bedard. Like, yeah, he's interesting, but in hockey, he plays what? One third of the game. He gets one third of the ice time. He plays what? About 20 <laughs> one fifth minutes. Of the line? Yeah. One fifth of the line, one third of the ice time, roughly. So, yeah. Yeah. They, they need help. So I'm sure the Blackhawks will not be very good either this year. It's just a bad time for Chicago sports. And the White Sox are not helping in any way. And just a quick recap as far as the final numbers in 2023. Luis Robert led a lot of the offensive categories for the White Sox. Home runs, doubles, RBIs. He was tied with Andrew Vaughn for the RBI total. Andrew Benatendi led the team in total hits with 147 and total walks with 52, which is depressing. Uh, Robert, of course, led the team with 20 steals. On the pitching side, nobody won 10 games or more. Mike Clevenger led the team with nine wins. The saves leader, Gregory Santos. Good for you, Santos. He led the team with five saves. (laughs) Just got to be... I haven't looked it up. Maybe you'll do it, Jim. In it's, a it's, column it's a this post week. I've had in mind. I've been waiting for the final number just because like, and then I have to rewrite it in two fewest. weeks. Said, yeah. <laughs> uh, innings pitch, Dylan Cease. He had 177. Of course, Cease led the team in strikeouts with 214. Let's talk about team war. And you can look this number up on fangrafts.com. On the position player side, the cumulative total for wins above replacement for all position players for the White Sox was three and a half war. Luis Robert was five war. If you take Luis Robert off of this team, the cumulative total for the White Sox would have been negative one and a half war, which is demote them to AAA. That's mm-hmm. where they belong. That total for the position players ranked 29th in Major League Baseball. Only the Colorado Rockies have a worse group of position players that performed in 2023 than the White Sox. On the pitching front, the pitchers combined to be worth 10.1 war. That is 26th in Major League Baseball. And then when you look at the defense, 
Defensive runs saved. The White Sox minus 59 runs. That's second worst in Major League Baseball. And using Fangraphs' defensive metric, they were minus 37.9 runs below league average. That's by far the worst in Major League Baseball. So, Jim, 101 losses is easy to figure out when you have the second worst position player group in baseball, a bottom five pitching staff, and the worst defense in Major League Baseball. That's all Chris Getz and his new front office have to fix this offseason. No biggie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's very... Um, it should be a very invasive process. Like if you're talking about like trying to perform a procedure on this team, like it's not outpatient surgery. It's very much like you're going to be bedridden for uh, months and months and months. You're going to need a lot of visits. If you get out, you just might be here for a while and you just might have uh, everybody in here every day poking and prodding and trying to figure out what's wrong because like it could be a case where like if they're trying to get better by trading, we saw the problem with that with the Jake Berger trade Uh, trading, uh, Uh, the only players who are worthwhile to another team. And then you might end up losing like one of the few guys on your team that have cared, have some upside, have some improvement they're making from month to month over the course of the season. So yeah, that's really tricky. What the white Sox are trying to do if they're trying to get better in a hurry. If they're just going to tear it down, that's the easy part. Rick Hahn could do that part. <laughs> like, so easy Rick Hahn could do it when it comes to tearing a team down. Uh, building it back up and actually forming a team and, and, and forming a pipeline and building a culture. And whether the culture is a matter of just having enough players who are good. And that more or less sets the agenda for what the rest of the team does. Like, the White Sox don't know because they typically don't have enough guys doing that so like that's where what's going to be tricky when it comes with the uh when it comes to the white Sox. just if they're going to get better and and they want to do it like relatively quickly i think there was a cesspit barbecue to we talking about like how three years ago or two years ago like three postseason teams were 100 lost teams and now they're in yes. the postseason and trying to figure out like who among the white Sox, rockies athletics and, and and royals are going to be the ones that do that really tough and with the white Sox, like I'm not seeing it myself, but maybe like I think the one thing that where there's maybe some latent upside in what the White Sox can do is if Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams are so bad and so dysfunctional and they're basically more or less robbing the team or like robbing the ownership in terms of like just uh, taking advantage of Jerry Reinsdorf's loyalty and having no clue how to get better and not really investing any energy in doing so then perhaps like some of this stuff will correct itself. The problem is that Jerry Reinsdorf is more or less counting on that by not actually interviewing anybody but Chris Getz and not even interviewing him. So the process was bad. I can expect the results to continue to be bad, maybe a little bit better because like it's not the worst, but yeah, that's kind of where we're at. And, and it's not, there's no light at the end of the tunnel right now. That's still just tunnel. It's just a lot of darkness. Yeah, those three teams two years ago were Arizona, Baltimore, Texas. Now, Arizona, Baltimore rebuilt their rosters and through player development got to where they are. And I mean, just look at Baltimore. They look like a potential juggernaut. And we got a glimpse of that last year when they went 83 and 79 and shocked everyone and they won 101 games. The Diamondbacks are probably the model. And I don't think it's any coincidence that Chris gets hired Josh Barfield to be part of his front office as an assistant general manager, because if the team's talking about being more athletic 
and being a lot better defensively. I mean, that's the Diamondbacks. That's how they turn around their season to get into the wild card. They're one of the best defensive teams in baseball, especially in the outfield, and they are fast. And when they get on bases, mm-hmm. uh, they can wreak havoc. Their problem is getting on base consistently, and can they match up power to power to other teams in the National League? We'll we'll see what they could do in the postseason. The Texas Rangers spent their way out of their mess. So if you're looking for a model, well, that's your model. But for everyone, everyone that made fun of the Rangers for spending half a billion dollars on Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon to take over the middle of the infield, no one's laughing now. And, you know, mm-hmm. signing Nathan Eovaldi, I know he got hurt, and he's had some bumps since he's come off the injured list. But they spent good money on Eovaldi, and that looked good. Yeah, it looks like they're burning up a bunch of cash on Jacob DeGrom, but they rebuilt that pitching staff. They have found a diamond in the rough in Adalas Garcia. They spent the first-round draft pick on Josh Young, and he's panning out really well. A lot of people didn't know who Nathaniel Lowe was, and maybe a lot of people just gave up on Jonah Heim, but those guys have been really raking in their lineup. So if you're looking for a model, if the White Sox are looking to be a model, it's probably Texas. Because you don't have the farm system right now to duplicate or replicate, I should say, what Baltimore and Arizona have done. But you don't have an owner that's got the appetite and spending the type of cash that the Texas Rangers have spent. So I'm not holding my breath, Jim, that the White Sox are going to be one of these 100-loss teams in a couple of years that make the postseason. Yeah, it's that, that's what I mean. Like they, They're not willing to take shortcuts. They're not willing to overhaul the way they go about the front office by, um, you know, whether it's bringing in somebody from Tampa Bay or Houston or somebody who's done it that way. So like you just have a whole bunch of half measures and you know, when you have Gene Watson coming in saying like, yeah, the pro scouting staff is great. It's like, no, it isn't like the results have been terrible. Like in, and you know, whether it's getting guys on one year contracts, getting, trying to figure out what you're going to get from guys you're giving two, three, four-year contracts to. They don't really go past five except for Andrew Benintendi. And I think pro scouting let everybody down there a little bit in terms of what he had to offer the White Sox. The other part might be injuries. I guess we'll find out by like a couple months into next season just how much power is actually there. Like if he comes out of the gate hitting like four homers in April, then you can say like, yeah, maybe just his hand screwed everything up. But like the results aren't there. And Gene Watson's like complimenting everybody and saying I've met with everybody and everybody's great. So like... That's a case where when you keep hiring from the Royals and they don't know anything about how to run a modern baseball team and everybody there has been in their position for too long, like it is, you're fully within your right to make fun of how Royals the White Sox are. So you have to, like, you can't take the White Sox at their word. You can't assume it's going to get better because they, you know, they did not interview anybody. And that was the biggest missed opportunity is like you, if you hire somebody from the Royals or the Rays or giants or smart organizations who have done things well, um, you could get, you could tune out in two years and say like, I'll see what it looks like in 2025, you know, just I'll check out. And, and because you have to let this new front office have time to go about their business. But when you <laughs> hand it over to Chris gets, because there's no time to waste, it's uh and you know everything he has or you know more specifically hasn't done then yeah it's there's no reason to say it's going to get better and like when Pedro Grifol says we're going to be judged by wins and losses next year like then we're going to judge you harshly because the wins are going to be there uh and that's what Rick Hahn tried to do with 
this past season with like after firing Tony LaRusse and saying, yeah, we've lost their trust. And then they go on and lose 101 games. So there's really just nobody has benefit of the doubt. They didn't bring anybody in who has at least a clean slate that maybe don't trust absolutely but at least you can't judge them it'd be unwise and foolish to do so so you just say like i'm going to suspend judgment good or bad until we see what the returns are two years from now and that's where why we are where we are yeah here's the Moneyball math if you remember that movie in the book and what the front office is trying to accomplish right and i know there's a lot of people that want to argue about run differential and how much should we really lean on that to gauge and how a team fared in a season? But all you can do as a front office is build a roster based on projections to ba- to build the most projectable roster that you can for an upcoming season. Because you're not playing the games they are, but you're the one building the roster. I think step one is defensively you got to get better. Like if they can get the defense to be league average, and that's where the Dodgers and Tampa Bay Rays are, if you're looking for a gauge, is that the Dodgers and Rays rank 14th and 15th in Major League Baseball defensively. And you could reduce the amount of runs that you allow to four and a half per game. That's 729, that's 729 runs for the season. And offensively, if you still just score 641 for the season, like they did this year, the offense doesn't improve Jim. Mm-hmm. Your expected win loss record. If you reduce the amount of runs allowed by that much would be 71 and 91. That's a 10 win improvement. Just getting the defense back to league average. But in order to win the American league central, which again is the goal for the white Sox in 2024, they're going to have to build a roster that can win 86 plus games. And that's what it takes to win the American League Central, no matter how bad we think this division is, everyone. It is going to take building a roster that could win 86 or more games. That's a 531 winning percentage, which means in order, if you're to allow 729 runs to meet that projected expected winning percentage, your offense needs to score 775 runs, which means... The White Sox need to build a roster next year that allows 112 fewer runs, Jim, while scoring 134 more runs. And I just talked about this. This is the worst defense in Major League Baseball and the second worst position group in Major League Baseball. And it would be the worst if you didn't have Luis Robert. And this topic is a launching pad for everything we're going to be talking about in the next couple of weeks in the podcast here, folks. I know people are already asking, when will the offseason plan project begin on SoxMachine.com? If you are trying to make an offseason plan project that the White Sox can make the postseason next year, that's your task. You, you got to build a pitching staff and defense that allows 112 fewer runs and you need to build an offense that could score 134 more runs next year. By the way, Ronald Acuna Jr. scored 140 runs this year for the Atlanta Braves. So maybe <laughs> you can find a Ronald Acuna Jr. and that will ultimately solve everything for the Chicago White Sox. But unfortunately, there's only one Ronald Acuna Jr. and he's in Atlanta. But that's the task on hand for Chris Getz and his new front office gym this offseason. Yeah, and a quick correction to the uh, save stat. Uh, Kendall Graven actually led the team with eight. So among active players or players still on the roster, Santos uh, is the guy. Thank you. But Graven had eight, but I, I was looking it up, and you have to go back to 1962 
to find a White Sox team that had a, a save leader with fewer than eight uh, or even eight. Uh, that's tr- and the funny thing, 62 wasn't a bad team. That was an 85 win team. That was just different. You know, Al Lopez had uh, different ideas in terms of leveraging relievers and starters and using them in the bullpen and such. But Turk Lown led the team with six saves. The team saved 28 games overall. So at different times, yeah. but that's kind of where you're going. Like I expect to be like 1970 team since that was the 106 loss Don Gutteridge team, but they saved 30 games that year, probably because, you know, the team, the games that they did win were by the skin of their teeth. And you, know, maybe the 62 team was good enough to have some games where they did have a healthy margin for error. So yeah, they six, let me look it up here real quick. Was, this, had, was the save a stat in 1962 though, or is that retroactive accounting? Uh, maybe retroactive. So I mean, like they weren't you know, concentrated we, on it. Yeah, they weren't. Kind of, if it was a save, there it didn't dictate the way games were managed. So yeah, if you're yeah. if you're going like b- before like the late 1970s for save stats, that means like you are worse than something when people didn't care about it. And that's where the white <laughs> all Sox that were. money spent. Yep, <laughs> all that money spent on the bullpen, and your saves leader had eight, and you traded him. <laughs> the deadline. <laughs> yeah. Because le- uh, I thought Jake Petrichka, like when he led the team in saves, I yeah. thought that's kind of like how low it goes. But turns out that's not the case. So I've no. learned something. Yes. Another low from this season. Huzzah. Maybe another low is that there are coaching changes upcoming for the Chicago White Sox. Daryl Van Scowen posted this tweet in the pregame presser with Pedro Grafal. When asked about the coaching staff for next year, Pedro Grafal said, quote, there's a few ideas I can't share. It's a very sensitive issue. We talk about the staff. We talk about people who have been in the game a long, long time. Unfortunately, this is a game that's predicated on wins and losses, end quote, which is hilarious to me because if it was predicated on wins and losses, you wouldn't have a job, Pedro. Uh, <laughs> so I, I'm not buying that. Last part, but James Fegan reporting for the Chicago Sun-Times this weekend, uh, recapping the White Sox games for the paper, reported that bullpen coach for the White Sox, Kurt Hasler, will be reassigned to duties within the minor league operation. So you'll no longer be part of the major league coaching staff. So that's the first coaching spot open for the White Sox. How many more coaching changes should we expect to see, Jim? The problem is, like, so many coaches are new, like they just overhauled that. So when it comes to like, you know, Hassler makes sense because he's been there a while. Um, he was inherited. And also you have Brian Bannister coming in, being a new guy up top. And so he may have different ideas in terms of what he wants taught, who can teach it, et cetera. And Hassler just might not fit in at that level. He might have to go further down. Or maybe it's something like after the results he had in the bullpen, maybe he wants to uh, drop out a little bit and say like, I'm going to take something lower stress and uh, something less results oriented. But you know, that makes sense to start there, but like the hitting coaches, they're new Uh, other coach, aside from Daryl Boston, who is like the obvious one, like given that, you know, he was tight with Kenny, like that makes sense to swap him out. But I mean, like they just change these guys. And so like, that's why I, I don't see any obvious fixes. Like Ethan Katz was the guy we've been talking about, but like he overlapped with Brian Bannister in San Francisco. And I imagine they get along to a certain degree. So maybe he's, uh, yeah, I could see a case where like Brian Bannister's in Ethan Katz is out and they're going to find a pitching coach who Bannister likes and 
is great at relaying the messages that he knows he's going to impart with the pitchers he has on hand. Or maybe he says like, no, Ethan Katz is fine. I know him from San Francisco. Uh, we just need to go about the guy. You know, maybe our talent acquisition is going to be a bit different. And we're going to take some load off him and make it less where like everybody's a project. So I, I guess since Bannister came aboard, I'm less confident that Ethan Katz will be changed. But yeah, just everything's so new. Um, and, you know, given how much Getz said that he wants to maintain stability because of all the changes that the White Sox have undergone, like it would seem to be the case where like that's part of the stability is coaching staff. And if you swap out all the coaches, then why is Pedro Grifol even there? Like if he brought all these coaches aboard and then like his coaches are thrown overboard or most of them are changed up, like why not throw the baby out with the bathwater? Like... <laughs> Maybe the baby's bad too. Uh, there's probably a different metaphor to use to where you're not talking about throwing babies, but yeah, uh, that's kind of what we're looking at, at here is just like Griffol being somebody who had Charlie Montoyo like in, you know impressed upon him, but got to pick all his other coaches, and then like maybe Montoyo goes too, but like still, it's he's just there, and he's done nothing to prove that he's worth the job, and it's the biggest indicator that like Chris Getz isn't quite in charge or Jerry Reinsdorf still is going to meddle or screw things up for him. I don't know if Ethan Katz is 100% safe, Jim, because you mentioned Brian Bannister and I've been wondering because with his interview, he talked about his wife's from the Bay area. They both really enjoyed living and working in the Bay area. That seemed to be a perfect fit for him. He leaves to take the White Sox job, Gabe Kapler mm -hmm. gets fired days later. And I'm wondering if Bannister just saw the writing on the wall in San Francisco that changes were coming and maybe he wouldn't have a job much longer. And here are the White Sox calling and telling his wife, babe, I'm either going to be unemployed uh, or I got to move to Chicago and take this White Sox job. Like, that's just how I feel. He's not going to say that publicly, mm -hmm. But that's what happened. The Giants are going to have to have a new manager. Their pitching coach in San Francisco, the guy that it, Brian Bannister worked very closely with, is Andrew Bailey, who is a former Rookie of the Year, uh, former pitcher in the major leagues. And he's been with the Giants for three years. And if the Giants are bringing, it, bringing in a new manager, maybe they'll bring in a new pitching coach. Does that suddenly make Andrew Bailey a free agent? And... Is that a possible swap here that Bannister would feel more comfortable working with Andrew Bailey because he's been working with Bailey day to day with the Giants the last three years than somebody new in Ethan Katz? And we don't know Katz's contract situation for the Chicago White Sox. So based on like your false tone, it sounds like someone serious is not going to be coming back to the coaching staff. And I do wonder if that is going to be Ethan Katz and, the White Sox just completely overhaul the pitching staff. Watch, they end up keeping Ethan Katz, but they want to be sensitive that they're letting Daryl Boston go and they're going to make it a bigger deal than it really is uh, because he should have been gone years ago. Yeah, well, look at the Giants. Like, their ERA, third lowest in the National League offense, uh, second worst offense. So I think Bannister wouldn't get the share of the blame if he were still around reading the quotes from San Francisco and uh, what players were saying, what uh, Zaidi said about mm -hmm. 
his security and why he left. He said like, no, we tried to keep him. Uh, he, you know, wanted, you know, he said like work-life balance. And I guess Bannister has some side projects in terms of like, uh, does some consulting on the side and coaching and such. And he wants a better work-life balance. And I can imagine like Bannister wouldn't say that around Chicago. He wouldn't say like, uh, hey, his job's better for me because I can do it less. Or, you know, they, they frame <laughs> me up to do other things that might seem like they're, um, you know, Don Cooper did like consulting on the side too. So it's nothing new in terms of, um, you know, a team employee also finding ways to fill in some off season work. But it, it, you know, I can imagine like him not wanting to say that. And because that sounds like, yeah, I just wanted to get paid to have the same title and, but just do my job less and have lower standards and it'd be okay. It's a good place to cash a check. Uh, you know, I imagine his connection with gets too helps a little bit in terms of like, helping sway things like, Hey, you can get in the ground floor of something different. I like gets personally, he might be thinking and I can help him out and see if we can have fun together doing this. And if not, like there's still some benefits in my personal life that will allow me to take this job without um, regrets. Uh, that's why I think like cats might be safe, but I also like, I agree with you that, you know, the white Sox results have been so poor and the arrival of Bannister could be relatively seismic, especially by White Sox standards, that like cats just can't stay. Especially if Bannister thinks there's somebody better who can be the most important pitching coach in the organization to help instill those messages from the top down. Yeah. So we'll see again. It's it sounds like we're gonna get these coaching changes within the week, folks. So as Montoyo could be another one. I guess if we like in between Boston and Cats, like Montoyo in terms of like, you know, he was forced upon uh, Griff, or yeah, Montoya was forced upon Griffol by Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams by that series of decisions, and it could have been just a bad fit. And perhaps Getz doesn't like Montoya or thinks like there could be somebody better, and they go about um, you know augmenting the staff that way. That's another possibility that I think could be well within play because it's amazing how. You know, maybe it makes sense, but like just given how under fire Griffol was and how criticized he was, that I really didn't hear Montoyo's name at all. Luis Robert Jr. forgot his name yeah. a month into the season. So perhaps he's just like an inessential employee, but that could also make him subject to change too, just by being somebody who didn't distinguish himself one way or another. I wonder if he interviews Charlie Montoyo any of these uh, job openings that have suddenly become available. Uh, Buck Showalter is not returning to the New York Mets next season. So the Mets have a pretty lucrative job opening for next year. The San Francisco Giants, we already mentioned, will have a job opening as well. I, I'm keeping an eye on the whole Andrew Bailey situation and Ethan Katz. If the White Sox do let go Ethan Katz this week, I, I wonder if Andrew Bailey will be a front runner uh, to replace Ethan Katz as the upcoming pitching coach just because of his past working relationship with Brian Bannister. So keep an eye on that, folks. Finally, Tim Anderson. Tim Anderson spoke with Scott Merkin of MLB.com. I recommend reading the complete interview on MLB.com. This particular quote, though, really caught my attention from Tim Anderson, when Merkin asked about his future position, Anderson said, quote, really, at this point, it doesn't matter. 
I'm a shortstop second baseman. It's whatever to allow my career to keep going. I'm not going to wrestle with the team that I'm this or I'm that. It's just an honor and a blessing to fit in any lineup as a starter considering how hard this game is. Short would be my first choice, but I also understand how older guys are viewed. And now that I'm stepping into that phase, which sucks and is different, I just want to continue to keep building on what I started and get back to what I used to be, end quote. Different tone, Jim, regarding this situation, the beginning of the season, doing that podcast with ESPN's Ryan Clark. Tim Anderson made it well known in that episode that he is a shortstop, and if the White Sox let him go and he becomes a free agent, he wants shortstop money. Now here we are, the second to last day of the regular season, and his mind is changing. Is Anderson having a better understanding of what his situation actually is? I think after the season he had, when you're running worst regular type stats across the board, when your defense is subpar and your offense is among the worst, if not the worst performance by an everyday player that you really don't have much to stand on. And when it comes to shortstop second base, like, I guess if you look at like Marcus Semyon, like it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't really matter if you play short, if you play second, if you play up the middle and you can play a very good second base with the ability to maybe do spot duty at short, even if you aren't the everyday guy there, like you'll get paid. You'll get paid if you're good. Teams like you know, just athletes up the middle can cover ground, run well, pr- uh, produce at the plate. So it does make sense in terms of like not having the kind of season he had in any regard. And also just like, there's still a way to make money. So I think if he were to be defensive about the defensive position he plays and says, I'm still a shortstop, I still can, if you were being adamant and combative about like, how good he is in the face of everything saying like you were lousy in every single regard this year. Uh, it wouldn't do him any favors. Wouldn't do him any favors like in a, you know, moving to a change of scenery that might do him well because, you know, who would want that player if he's not going to be flexible and have some awareness of what his shortcomings are and, and what he has to earn. So even like if he's not going to be making shortstop money that Dansby Swanson and Xander Bogarts and Corey Seager were making, like there's still money to be made if you're good and if you can play up the middle. So it's smart, but it's also like, uh, yeah, if he's back to where he was, I could see him wanting to play shortstop or at least assert going into the winter that he's still a, a guy capable of playing everyday shortstop, but he has so much to fix in between now and then that's really a secondary concern. Yeah, it sounds like in the interview, Chris Getz and Tim Anderson are already speaking about the decision that Getz has to make 10 days after the World Series concludes. And if Anderson is now more open to the idea of moving off shortstop, I I wonder if that's the first conversation point. Because Getz has mentioned in previous interviews that the conversation between he and Tim Anderson will be exhaustive and probably be multiple conversations. If I'm Tim Anderson's agent and I hear that, or I read those quotes from Chris Getz, I'm assuming the first meeting is about a topic that my client does not want to hear. And that is moving my client off of his primary position uh, that he made very well known earlier this season that he didn't want to do that. But now Tim Anderson day before the regular season ends seems to be more open to the idea 
but Anderson's option is $14 million. And Tim Anderson's OPS this season was below 600. $14 million is a lot of money for a second baseman. Mm-hmm. And I'm not against the idea of moving Anderson over to second base. I just think if you pick up his option straight up and you move him over to second base, you might be overpaying for that spot if Anderson does not return to his, let's say, 2021 form for the Chicago White Sox. If he did return to his 2021 form, I mean, there's a good chance that Anderson might be a, a silver slugger contender at second base offensively. I don't know how his defense would translate moving over to second base. But the vibes and trying to read through the tea leaves, Jim, sounds like the White Sox want some type of change at shortstop going into next season. And that might be a concentrated area where they want to improve defensively, which pretty much spells the end of Tim Anderson starting shortstop for the Chicago White Sox. But I don't know what that next move is for both the White Sox and Anderson. The, I guess, supremely cynical read might be that Getz is like, we're going to have to move you off shortstop, thinking that Anderson be like, no, I'm never moving off shortstop. And then he, uh, you know, uh, declines. Here's your the, million dollars. Yeah. <laughs> and just like, well, we had to do a different vision for shortstop. And now, uh, you know, Anderson says like, oh, I'm open to playing second. And he's like, damn it. Uh, going to have to actually, you know, it's not going to be as easy or um, simple to explain to the outside, especially since there are no like Lenin Sosa had a decent finish, and I think I'll probably dig into that a little bit uh, over the course of October to try to figure out before the offseason plan stuff, like what he's looking like there. But uh, yeah, they're just given how the internal replacement, like if Tim Anderson were fine, like maybe not peak Tim Anderson, but just like around 100 OPS plus and okay defense and a two and a half to three win player. It would be the perfect time to exercise that one year, 14 million, because, uh-huh. you know, Colson Montgomery will be waiting on deck. Maybe uh, Jose Rodriguez puts it all together and looks like somebody who can hold down a position for a year or two. And then Brian Ramos, maybe you have a, like an all of a sudden a brand new infield. Uh, so it would have been perfect if he were just even OK. But given just how far he was from that and how when you look at his game, you just don't know, like, what do you do here? Like, what's your... What's your strength? What can you bring to the table when everything else is going wrong? And it just turned out that everything went wrong. And that's why he was one of the worst regulars in baseball, if not the worst. It's really tough to, you're spending that $14 million blindly, basically, if you exercise his option. And there may be low stakes of doing that if you tear everything else down and you're just using this year as a kind of a punting year. And if Anderson's up to moving to second base and he doesn't stick there, then you can just kind of, keep uh, wending him down the depth chart until maybe a DFM or something like that. But for the time being, trying to explain decisions as they're happening and trying to glean what course gets maybe taking for 2024 and even like 2025. um, It's going to take some messaging, I think, to try to explain why or why, uh, why or why not Anderson is still around because like, why not could be an unpopular decision in some regards if he's replaced nothing because nobody wants to watch a teardown again. Yeah, very true. Again, that's the biggest decision that Chris gets will have to make on the player front. And that decision is going to be within 10 days of the world series concluding. And what a great way to segue into talking about the world series as the MLB postseason begins on Tuesday. We'll make our picks for this postseason after a quick word from our sponsors. 
The biggest acts are visiting Chicago this summer on top of all the baseball games and other great concerts, theater shows too. It could be quite the chore and headache trying to secure tickets to all of these shows and events. Buying tickets shouldn't be stressful. Use Game Time to purchase your tickets. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for sports, music, comedy, theater near you. They've got killer deals on last minute tickets and their best price guarantee helps eliminate stressing over tickets. If you find tickets in the same section or even row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. That's why Game Time is the fastest growing ticketing app in the country. Download the Game Time app, create your account, and get $20 off your first purchase using our promo code SOCKSMACHINE. Terms and conditions apply. Again, create an account and use our promo code SOCKSMACHINE for $20 off your first ticket purchase. Game Time. Last minute tickets, lowest prices, guaranteed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. All right, so it's time for the MLB postseason to begin, and it starts on Tuesday. And you guys can play along with the Sox Machine Playoff Pick'em Challenge, in which you can make your picks and who you would like to represent the American League and National League going into the World Series. The postseason begins on Tuesday at 2.08 p.m. Central Time. The Texas Rangers and the Tampa Bay Rays kick it off. That's That game's going to be an ABC ABC's got the Rangers and Rays. We don't get to see a lot of baseball on ABC. So that's a bit exciting. Uh, The Twins and Blue Jays will get started at 3.38 p.m. Central Time on ESPN. So those are the two afternoon games playing at the same time. And then it moves over to the National League at night. Starting on Tuesday, Diamondbacks at Brewers. That game's going to start at 6.08 p.m. Central Time on ESPN2. And Marlins and Philly starting at 7.08 p.m. Central Time on ESPN. And Jim, uh, when it comes to playoff picks, we're awesome at this. I I kid. Uh, (laughs) So take our picks with a grain of salt, but Bob Nightingale has already cursed the Milwaukee Brewers. That's his pick to to win the World Series. So let's talk about each of these series, starting in the American League and the wild card. And you got the number three seed, the Minnesota Twins, against the number six seed, the Toronto Blue Jays. I'm not talking about the series, but mm-hmm. can the Minnesota Twins win a playoff game, Jim? God, I hope not. Um, <laughs> you just want the streak to, to continue. It's just funny. <laughs> like, I want to see him keep losing. Like, it just, it's, you know, Lucy pulling the football, but in 
pro sports forums. I enjoy the, you know, Joe Biden video, Minnesota, every time, like, Sony loves picking on him. Uh, it's great. Um, so, yeah, I don't want to see him win because, like, once they do that, it's kind of like the Cubs, you know, with the World Series. Like, there's always something to make fun of them about, even if they are, um, you know, 30 games up on your team. But once that goes, like, even if they lose, you know, the series, like, uh, the losing streak wasn't made special. And now they're just, you know, White Sox don't win postseason series either. So that's the really differentiation between the two teams. And once the Twins win a game, that's over. Yeah, that's true. It, again, last time the Twins won a playoff game, Johan Santana made the start for the Twins back in 2004. So it's been a long time, a long time. And the Twins have hosted recently in 2020 a home playoff series that he lost to mm-hmm. the Houston Astros. Uh, and that was a very good twins team. So they really struggle no matter who the opponent is. It, typically it's the Yankees that sweep the Minnesota twins or beat them in the postseason. But this time it's a Toronto blue Jays. So in that wild card round, Blue Jays, Twins, Jim, who do you like winning in that series? Well, you know, I'm going to my preseason pick for the World Series was Braves, Blue Jays. So I'm stuck between like, I mean, Braves, I still like and I should like because they're very likable in terms of trying to figure out a favorite here. But like the Blue Jays, like they've been kind of weak all year or just, you know, never quite approaching to some of their parts. Like Vlad Jr. hasn't been the monster. George Springer's had a rough year. Um, pitching staff hasn't quite put it together. Manoa, you know, having being lost was a big step back for just the depth and like the frontline talent on the, uh, of the rotation. So like, I guess it's kind of like the Monty Hall uh, paradox and like, uh, should I, switch away from the Blue Jays, even if they're in the postseason uh, and in position to make it to the World Series and lose to the Braves like I had? Or should I switch based on what I've seen after the year? So I feel like I want to go two routes of this, who I like now and and who I picked beforehand. But I'm going to pick Blue Jays either way for this one. So that remains unchanged for this part of the bracket. I'm picking Blue Jays as well, but I do think the Minnesota Twins... Win a playoff game. I hope not. I know you don't want them to win. I'm going to be so sad. But I, I do think <laughs> that the Twins will finally win a playoff game and they'll have false hope and that George Springer will crush them in game three. That's how I see that unfolding for the Minnesota Twins. And uh, that means that the Blue Jays would move on to face the Houston Astros. In the other side of the bracket in the American League, I'm really fascinated with this series. It's the Texas Rangers at the Tampa Bay Rays, and it's a three-game series. And Jim, there's a part of me like I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the upset pick. I'm gonna pick the Texas Rangers, and I just think being indoors with that offense can overcome whatever the Rays will throw at them pitching wise. However, Randy Rosarena looms large in this series. And if the Rangers have a terrible time getting Rosarena out, this could be a quick series for the Rangers. Like I'm picking the Rangers to win in three games, but I could easily see the Rays win in two games because Texas bullpen has also been a big problem for them. So that's why I don't like the Rangers to go deep into the postseason. But in this first round of the wild card, I'm thinking the Rangers to upset the Tampa Bay Rays in three games. How about you? I'm going to go with the Rays. Like I, I went back and forth on this because of the arguments to make and just the offense is good, but like the Rays, like 
you know, the way the Blue Jays have been less than the sum of the parts, the Rays are always more. And, you know, whether they get all the way to the World Series and win it, they're usually tough in the postseason. It's not like Oakland during the Billy Bean Moneyball days when just they'd wash out in the first round and, you know, right. my, my crap doesn't work in the playoffs. Uh, the Rays stuff does work in the playoffs, especially since, like, the Rangers pitching staff is a little bit of a mess. And, you know, maybe, like, they're just not as accustomed to making things work on the fly the way the Rays were. Like, the Rays had a lot of problems this year and won 99 games. Uh, the Rangers had problems as well. They won 90. I mean, the Rangers are a good team, but just they did have uh, more, you know, I guess, season-jeopardizing stretches of like, oh, are we even going to make the postseason? It just happened to be that they ended up on top of that uh, three-team, uh, or or should say that they ended up um, beating out the Mariners and like, Astros beat them out finally, but they, you know, they weren't they're They're at the last day of the season, their postseason spot wasn't in doubt. It happened to be the Mariners on the outside looking in. So I think like I, the Rangers are going to be tough and I wanted to pick them because I think they're more enjoyable to watch than the Rays who are kind of just anonymous. And I like watching stars and name brand talent more than um, just a team that inspires Lesser teams to work as cheaply and are worse at it than the Rays are. Like, you know, Rick Hahn saying, well, the Rays don't need to spend and Rick Hahn is not the Rays. So I'm going to go with the Rays and say like, yeah, I think they ultimately, they just will be good enough to outlast uh, the Rangers because probably late inning stuff. All right. So then moving over to the National League for the wild card, we have the Brewers against the Diamondbacks. Who do you like in that series? I want the Brewers, but I kind of wonder about Craig Council being on the way out. Like, how much is that going to hover over things? And the Brewers kind of never, you know, mm. they kind of come up short here and there. Uh, or just, you know, because of that same lack of name brand talent, they're very good at solving problems in season, proving their medal over the course of 162 games. But in short series, they don't quite match up with like the heavyweights of the division. Like the Ra uh, Diamondbacks are not one of those heavyweights, but I wonder if their exit is going to be earlier. And since Nightingale picked them, I'm going to say Diamondbacks. All right. So Jim going with the upset. I do like your angle. And at first I had the Diamondbacks over the Brewers I just can't trust Arizona's offense. Mm -hmm. And I like Milwaukee's pitch. And I think Milwaukee will do enough to keep Arizona off the base paths. I'm thinking 4-2, 3-1 type of games. These are going to be low, low-scoring games between the Brewers and Diamondbacks. And I like the Brewers' offense just a little bit more than Arizona. If this series was in Arizona, I'd probably side with home field advantage and go with Arizona. But I do think this will go three games I got the Brewers over the Diamondbacks. This will be a pretty close series. And even though it would be considered an upset if the Diamondbacks beat the Milwaukee Brewers, I, I agree with you, Jim. I think there's an angle here that it can happen. Phillies and Marlins. This is a tricky series because right off the bat, I'm thinking Phillies. They're, one, they're performing as one of the best teams in baseball as of late. Trey Turner is finally hitting. And this lineup can be a juggernaut. We saw what they did last year in just running wild in the National League postseason and Bryce Harper being a huge part of that in winning the National League pennant. But Bryce Harper is still not 100% back. And the Marlins this year were 4-2 and two in Philadelphia. 
and they just recently won a big series in Philadelphia in late September to help them get into the postseason. So I'm I I'm having a tough time with this. I'm going to go with the Phillies in three games, but I would not be surprised, Jim, if the Marlins upset the Phillies here. Yeah, I like the Phillies like as a sports consumer. I enjoy the personalities on the team. I like the way they play. I like just the frontline talent they have. Um, I like their attitude of going for it. John Middleton's approach of just nobody cares how much money a team made in a season. They care about whether they win. So I support the Phillies on that regard too. Like the Padres are run a similar way, but there seem to be some uh, front office issues. Like I guess you would say that AJ Preller is no Dave Dombrowski in terms of building super teams with good vibes. Uh, I think uh, the uh, Padres seem to be more of a mess. So I like the Phillies, you know, if they weren't playing the team that they would go on to play i might like them to be a national league champion um just because Uh i think the dodgers are banged up in weird ways and sometimes like uh when you don't know exactly who's going to be filling the innings sometimes they come up short as well whereas i think the phillies have more of a um short series type pitching staff that does them well so I think I'm going to go Phillies for the, uh, or I shouldn't say I think. I will go with the Phillies for this matchup, but I wish they weren't playing, uh, going on to play the Braves because I want to see them advance pretty far. Yeah, so let's move over back to the American League. So for the Astros, we both have the Astros and Blue Jays. I have the Astros winning that series, Jim. How do you, are you still sticking with your World Series pick to upset the Astros? I think I am Um, just because the Astros have, you know, the Astros are good. Um, They're certainly tested. Uh, They, this is one of those years where it seemed like nothing was going right. They had so many injuries or so many guys underperforming. You had the Jim Crane stuff, uh, you know, with um, James Click being forced out and who's really in charge and Dusty Baker even being somewhat uh, rumored not to be returning. And still they win uh, the AL West. So like, there is a degree of like imperviousness about them that not many other teams have. And certainly the blue Jays seem like they do a lot more limping than the Astros do. Uh, Just when their weaknesses show, they tend to be dragged down by them, but I don't think the Astros are so good that I can be uh, swayed away from my preseason pick and sticking with them. So I'm going to go with the blue Jays, even if it's just more of a matter of like, eh, I just don't like the Astros that much. So then I have Baltimore against the Texas Rangers. You got Baltimore against Tampa Bay. I like the Orioles over the Rangers. Again, the Rangers bullpen issues. I know that Felix Batista is not available for the rest of the postseason for Baltimore, but that's still a strong bullpen that Baltimore has. And their lineup is just as good as Texas's lineup. So give me the Orioles into the American League Championship Series. How about you, Jim, between the Orioles and the Rays? That would be a really interesting five-game series. It would be really interesting. I think um, when it comes to watchability, I think I'd rather watch a an Orioles-Rangers series because like the Orioles have... Uh, young, impressive talent, and they get by with pitching, and you know that maybe isn't the most familiar, but they've improved some pitchers, and they've also gotten by with a deep bullpen, and that's kind of similar to the Rays, who get by with a really deep bullpen, and even with like Felix Bautista out, like they still find ways to get guys to finish out innings. But I do like the Rangers, just like you know star talent and buying cool players and watching them do what they do. So I think like I. 
as interesting as series could be, I also think, could think it be might or it might be a little bit of a samey series between the Orioles and Rays. So it's not one that might be my favorite to watch. But yeah, I mean, the Orioles have been so impressive this year in answering every challenge and like shooting past the Rays. And then once the Rays got their stuff figured out and we're back to being like a hundred win team like the Orioles are still just a little bit better and they won the season series and they're great in one run games. And they really seem to just, you know, whether it's having enough starting pitching that lasted the whole year, we thought they'd need to add starters, but it turns out that their starters might be actually pretty good. We just don't know them or they showed the ability to pitch six months for the first time that they hadn't, uh, hadn't really done that before. So I do like the Orioles. I just wish they were owned by somebody besides John Angelos because he, at least, you know, I guess he got that 30-year lease for Camden Yards, so there isn't the threat of moving anywhere that would hover over everything. But he's such an unpleasant personality that every time the Orioles do something cool and I want to root for him, I realize, like, oh, he's the guy who'd be benefiting. And that, like, saps my enthusiasm. But the mix of players and the ballpark and the fans that I know and have been around when I've gone to the ballpark, like, I've enjoyed Baltimore's baseball city. So here's hoping. Orioles so in the American, yeah. Uh, so uh, to to make my answer conclusive, Orioles, yeah, I think there are like I would say like Orioles in six. So in the American League Championship Series, you would have Orioles, Blue Jays. Would you be reversing course here and picking Baltimore over Toronto? This is the, this is where I wrestled with it, and I'm still wrestling with it now. And I'm going to stick with Toronto, just because. Okay. Like the Orioles have enough questions of just being a young enough team with like Felix Bautista out that maybe something weird happens there. And you have that whole, like, this is why closers are important when so many other things went wrong. But yeah, I'm just going to stick with Toronto because of the hunch I had, uh, six months ago. All right. The Orioles were 10 and three against the Toronto blue Jays this year. Uh, (laughs) this is when regression comes in. Yeah. Uh, I do like the Orioles Best of all talent, but I'm just going to stick with Toronto just because. My ALCS would be Baltimore and Houston, which I think would be a fascinating ALCS, especially because so many ex-Astros employees are running the Baltimore Orioles now. And what I saw in Houston in September gives me a lot of confidence in Baltimore to win that series against the Houston Astros. So I have the Orioles winning the American League pennant. Jim's got the Toronto Blue Jays winning the American League pennant, sticking with his uh, World Series pick at the beginning of the year. So I think I have an idea how the your how the National League could work out for you, Jim. But in one of the division series, so I have the Dodgers against the Brewers. You have the Dodgers against the Diamondbacks. Do you think the Diamondbacks could get the Dodgers in that round? I don't think so. I mean, like, the one thing I'm going to be – curious about is like the whole idea of buys and learning what that's like this expanded postseason and like a full flesh buy not just missing the wild card game or wild card round but actually like watching a team for a whole series and seeing whether a bullpen gets gassed or whether like rust sets in and i know that the braves are wrestling with that in terms of like maybe we're going to have like intense games where fans show up and we're not going to be just in a silo for a week plus while the other teams hash it out and stay sharp. So the Dodgers, like, you know, they've had this before where they, you know, they're, they're the favorites and they seem like they're going to have a pretty clear path and they get tripped up because like the pitching plans go awry or their uh, closer by committee 
situation they're trying to navigate goes wrong or the game doesn't quite get to him and Robert's plans are thrown out of whack and that's why he's like always in jeopardy of losing his job even though like he's among the most successful managers of all time year after year uh that like I think the Dodgers aren't as strong as the Dodgers name brand often leads them to believe but like the for the reasons you had doubts about the Diamondbacks the first round I have reasons for you know doubting them against like the cream of uh the crop in the National League which is the Braves and Dodgers so that's my long way of saying Dodgers yeah I have the Dodgers beating the Milwaukee Brewers and then on the other side the Atlanta Braves and Philadelphia Phillies this was a great series last year and the Phillies shocked the world and upsetting the Atlanta Braves I think the Atlanta Braves want this series. Like, they have a chip on their shoulder. If there's anything that can motivate the best team in Major League Baseball to play at another level, it would be facing the Philadelphia Phillies. I'd still think this would be an intense series, but I got the Braves over the Phillies. How about you, Jim? Yeah, I have that just because, well, when I picked them, I, I, I spoiled that already. But also, like, the Braves are just really, 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 really good. Uh, and yeah. just... In, in all the best ways, too. Like, they have a bullpen in order. They have a rotation that preserves the order of that bullpen and doesn't throw it out of whack by, um, you know, having some dead spots in the rotation that are bad bets to even go five innings. Whereas, like, the Phillies formula of, like, Nolan Wheeler hasn't been as strong in the past. So, I can see the, the Braves just exhausting them this year. But I am going to be rooting for the Phillies. Like, I find them just... To you know, like I said, I like their vibes. I like the fun that they have, the fire that they play with. Uh, very entertaining, and I'm hoping that it goes seven. Like even if I want my ultimately want my preseason picks proven correct, like I want to see this be a gloriously messy series uh, with a lot of like lead changes and maybe a blowout for each team that makes you think, oh, the Braves are going to run away with this. And then the Phillies throw a haymaker back and then it gets real serious. Like that's what I'm hoping from the series, because if this were a World Series matchup, I would be thrilled. Like just in terms of how talented the teams are, how good the high end talent is and how much they really seem to raise their games for each other. And then in the NLCS, Jim and I both have the Braves and Dodgers. I have the Braves beating the Dodgers. I know on paper it may seem like a close series. I don't think it'd be that close of a series. Like, I, I'm kind of expecting the Braves to win in five games against the Los Angeles Dodgers. I just like the Atlanta Braves a lot more than the Los Angeles Dodgers. Jim, you had Blue Jays and Braves at the beginning of the season. I'm assuming you're sticking with the Braves and winning the National League pennant. I am. And, you know, the Dodgers, I think they won 99 games. They look strong. And, you know, looking at you know, who they've beaten the season, they, they won the season series against Arizona. They won five of six against Milwaukee. So, like, when teams that they could face in this bracket, like, they've taken care of business against. And uh, I'm looking at their record against Atlanta, lost three out of four, but they won the run differential. So, basically, as even as a seven-game series can be, just on the losing end of it. But when you look at, like, the NL West, um, that wasn't as strong a division as I think people thought it was going to be with the Giants kind of flopping out the Diamondbacks being the best of a flawed um, mix. The, you know, the Padres losing every single edge they could possibly have. And, and the, and the Dodgers helped with that winning nine of 13. Uh, but the, you know, the Padres with one run games, the extra inning games, just basically every single way you can win and lose on the margins, the Padres lost. So like, 
I'm wondering like how good the Dodgers are. Are they 99 wins good or do they just take advantage of a bad division? Um, I think they're good and I think they can beat the Braves just because baseball is weird like that and they've been there before. And also like they went uh, 40 and 17 over the last two months. So like they, they are playing well. They're preventing runs well. They're scoring runs well. So I think they can like if they beat the Braves, it wouldn't shock me, but I just don't see a specific reason to think they can based on the way the Braves have played and just how deep that offense is and how, you know, I think they got, like you mentioned, that series against the Phillies. They felt like they should have won that last year. And so, like, they have something to learn against. Uh, you know, they've had experience that uh, cost them, and maybe that allows them to be sharper going to this one, at least more protective in terms of just uh, possible flaws that they might overlook just being as good as they are and having treated the season as pretty much a cakewalk. So in the World Series, I have the Atlanta Braves against the Baltimore Orioles. Jim's got the Toronto Blue Jays against the Atlanta Braves. I have the Atlanta Braves winning the World Series. I know I'm going chalk here. One seed versus one seed. I still don't think a lot of people expect Baltimore to be this good. And I think the Orioles will put up a good fight. But this is going to be kind of a similar World Series we saw last year between Houston and Philadelphia, which it was pretty clear that Houston just had too much going. And Baltimore is a team that's still on the up. And I think it will be one of the more popular picks to win the World Series in 2024. But for this World Series, I got Atlanta over Baltimore. Jim, Toronto, Atlanta. This is a rematch of an early 90s World Series. Who do you got? Braves in four. The Blue Jays aren't that good. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) I love it. Uh, and again, you can go to SoxMachine.com with the postseason pick'em challenge. You guys can make your picks as well in the form, and we'll be keeping track along the way and how everybody does with their postseason pick'em. But that's who we got. So we'll see on how the postseason goes. I'm sure we're way off, and it'll probably be like the Marlins against the Minnesota Twins uh, in the World Series. That'd be the Luis Arise versus Pedro Lopez World Series. Heck yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm rooting for Jake Berger. So, you know, I'm rooting that for him to have a big moment. If he's the reason why the Marlins upset the Phillies and take one of my, you know, fun teams to watch out of it, like, cool. Like, Jake Berger, like, he's probably my biggest individual interest going into this because, like, anything that makes Kenny Williams wor- look worse, fine by me. Um, one outcome I'm curious that I'd, I did not pick, obviously, but, like, the Craig Council thing is still fascinating to me. Like with the Mets letting go of Buck Showalter and David Stearns going to New York, like is there a reunion there? Like just, you know, the further they go and the more it seems like the Brewers need to retain counsel. And that's been obvious the whole time because counsel is one of the reasons why the Brewers seemingly overachieve or overachieve every year to the point where you don't consider it overachieving anymore. You consider it to be meeting expectations. And like, if they advance, like if they beat the Diamondbacks and they beat the Dodgers, like I'm really curious what that looks like for the Brewers and like why this hasn't been resolved yet. There's some conversation from the Milwaukee area that Craig may just want a couple years off to be with the family, that he feels a bit, bit guilty as his kids are older, that he's missing, he's missing too much and may just need a couple years off. And then once his kids graduate yeah. high school and they're in college, then then, yeah, maybe he he does join New York. But you know, to your point, I mean, 
again, there's a job opening in New York now. David Stearns has taken over. I, yeah, I, no I see what you're putting down, Jim. And I think that'd be a great hire for the New York Mets and try to turn things around. Uh, we'll, we'll see. But you are right. It is a fascinating cloud that's hanging over the Milwaukee Brewers entering this postseason. Let's see if it will be a distraction. But, of course, we'll be recapping what's going on in the postseason in future episodes of the Sox Machine podcast. And on that note, that will conclude this episode of the podcast. But in future podcast episodes, we'll be doing more deep dive recaps, giving our grades for the Chicago White Sox, playing our favorite game. Again, who doesn't deserve an F uh, recapping as far as the season? But (laughs) with these types of deep dive podcasts upcoming, it's hoping to serve as a guide for your Sox Machine offseason plan project And if we discover something that needs to be proved upon, or maybe there is an inkling of hope internally for a solution that could help influence the way that you guys build out your projects, uh, or maybe you guys give us ideas as well when you start submitting your off-season plan projects. And we'll also have a P.O. Socks mailbag episode upcoming as well. I'm sure you guys have a lot of questions that you want to get off your chest. And instead of just having Jim constantly write up answers, we can... We could maybe do a live stream where we could uh, answer those questions onto our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash socks machine. So that's what to look forward to in the rest of the month of October as we recap what's going on in the postseason and uh, preview what is to come for the White Sox offseason. But thank you guys so much for listening. And again, big thank you to listening to us all season long. I know that this season was a grind and it was very difficult and I I've seen your guys' emails to us. I've seen your tweets and other social media posts that you have stopped following, following the white Sox after the trade deadline or stopped watching baseball altogether in the month of September. I get it. But for those that stuck with us for the entire season, huge. Thank you. Yes. I, I, I saw a potential segue there when you said like play our favorite game. Who doesn't get an F and who doesn't get an F you, the fans, <laughs> like just damning them with faint praise, but no. Uh, yeah. It's when it comes to just the, how much work the white Sox made watching baseball feel like this year. It just, it was labor. It was unpleasant. There was no reason to really like this team. Even like Luis Robert, who is the, Best thing about this team had that one weird week where you wonder, like, is he even going to be like, is he going to need like a, a leave of absence for how checked out he seemed? And then he got over it and put together a really good season. But like, even he had that moment of just like, oh, teetering on the brink of total collapse. And just with like Jerry Reinsdorf laying it very bare that he's just the source of everything. And even if Kenny Williams and Rick Hunter are gone, like he still persists in the way he hired Chris Getz, the laziest possible way. Um, you know, and I said like the most arrogant way as well. Um, giving Getz like the worst possible introduction and saying like, yeah, now you're going to fix it faster than anybody thinks. And now Getz is trying to pull back from that and say like, well, I'm still doing a deep dive because it's pretty, pretty damn bad. So like, Every signal you could pick up on for following this team has been like, stay away, do something else with your summer, uh, watch something else, follow other teams, 
um, maybe watch some local baseball. Go to your minor league you know, games. Go to your uh, college summer league games. Just find other ways to maintain your passion because the White Sox ain't it. And so, like, uh, I've watched, like, our Patreon supporter numbers every month being like, oh, is this the month that everybody's going to say, like, I'm out. I can't support this anymore. And thankfully, your Patreon numbers have steadily risen not as much as they would if the white Sox were actually interesting and fun to follow and you know made fans of people who might not be inclined to be fans but uh certainly have uh everybody who's uh, been extremely loyal to us and generous to us like cannot possibly understate how much we appreciate that and we hope that we continue making it worth your while yes and again there'll be upcoming episodes of the Sox machine podcast twice a week into the off season, but that will do it for this episode of the podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening again. You can follow us on social media, no matter what the platform is. We're even on blue sky. Now, are we doing anything there? We're still learning on how the platform works, uh, but you can I'm follow us there. The conver- that one, that conversation seems more lively. Like I'm doing more checking in. Okay. Because the conversation does seem like, Oh, yeah. You know, like it, it's back to being like, you know, uh, the followers are, um, yeah, the conversation is more concentrated because the followership isn't quite in the thousands and tens of thousands for people. So a lot more informal and chatty. So I've been, I've been going there more listening. Just, I wish the white Sox provided me more to say. Yes. So again, you can follow us on blue sky. We're on threads. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. You can follow us at socks machine. You can follow me at socks machine underscore Josh. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel, which we upload our podcast up podcast episodes into our youtube channel at youtube.com slash sock machine and you can always subscribe to the sock machine podcast wherever you listen to podcasts such as spotify and apple music if you enjoy our work and you would love to help support us and you want more from us you can get more by becoming a patreon supporter at patreon.com slash sock machine our patreon supporters get exclusive content content they also get ad-free versions of both the podcast and website. Monthly plans start at $2, or you can save with an annual subscription. Again, sign up at patreon.com slash Machine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're on for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening and watching. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.